I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Good to have you back with us to continue this incredible conversation with Kasia Arbanyak. In part one of this conversation, we spoke about Kasia's incredible story, incredible diversity of backgrounds, and we actually went together into the dungeon to understand how dominance could be a relationship of deep connection and healing. We looked at dominance in conversations and how one can lead and the other would follow. And we looked at patterns that we get exposed to when we're raising boys or girls that we were exposed to ourselves as we were raised that make it different between us in terms of how girls respond to dominance and how they sometimes fail to exert their power. Today, we will look more at practical advice. We will look at women in meetings. The power of saying no in different areas of life can make a massive difference and how men and women can work together to achieve a world where there is a balance of that conversation. At the end of today's conversation, I will share the link you can go to so that you can benefit from the promo of pre-ordering Kasha's book to get a free good girl reform training that is worth $750, which will take place on November 24th. Kasha Urbaniak worked as a professional dominatrix. She practiced Taoist alchemy in one of the oldest female-led monasteries in China and obtained dozens of certifications in so many different disciplines. In 2003, she founded the Academy, a school that teaches women the foundations of power and influence. And since then, she taught hundreds of women practical tools to step into leadership positions in their relationships, families, workplaces, and the wider community. Her forthcoming book, Unbound, A Woman's Guide to Power, is to be released in March 2021 and promises to be a valuable read. I ran mega-sized businesses. I ran half of Google for seven, eight years, and then I ran Google X as a chief business officer. And very early in my career, I knew that the only way for me to be successful, actually because of a, a wonderful experience, we were in a training course, six macho men fighting it out, and one woman. And we would argue for hours. And then after an hour and a bit, Ola would say, but guys, you're missing this point. Our jaws would drop and we go like, how the F did we miss this? I mean, like, it's so obvious, but she sees the world so much better than us. And so I had a policy in my life that 50% of my leadership, if I had 10 leaders reporting to me, five will be men, five will be women. And that challenge has been, I hired some of the smartest humans on the planet who were women. And when they would be asked in a meeting, they would freeze. I'm like, seriously, 
I know you. I know how you push me. I know how you twist my ideas. Speak up. You're brilliant. But they would freeze. And that's so interesting that you put it down to conditioning. So the other thing that kills me is this is where sexual harassment happens. This is where a woman gets pushed into corners that are me too like. And that's absolutely horrendous that because of such a simple skill, we're unable to turn the conversation around and take our power. Yes, yes, yes. So a lot of people ask me, why are you working with women? Why aren't you teaching the men? And I'm like, if I teach the women well, they will teach the men what they need to know as well. (laughs) I know. You get the goods if you do the work. So what we studied also was woman in a meeting syndrome. Human beings are still animals, whether we like to admit it or not. And (laughs) one of the greatest things I learned from dog training, from a dog (laughs) trainer, was that you actually tell the animal, if the animal doesn't think anyone's in charge, the animal will run around freaking out, being like, how do I get this pack protected, water, you know, all that stuff. And the way you tell the animal someone's in charge is with your attention. Mm. With not with words. Not with words. Not with words. Yeah. So this, okay, so we studied women in a meeting syndrome. And this is not the blaming of women. We're just talking about what happens and looking at one of the ways that this can be solved. A woman speaking her beautiful ideas in a meeting will have a tendency to speak it in the surrendered state, in the I state. So I think and I feel that maybe this would be a good idea. You even take the qualifiers away, but she feels like an individual person. And what happens is in a BDSM session, when somebody shifts from a dominant state to a submissive state, you can see it in the body. In a meeting, you can also see it in the body. Totally. So she's speaking but she's surrounded by a bunch of dominant energy that's looking at her. She says an idea and it doesn't land in their bodies as a dominant message. So everybody feels the itch and you see, you see what happens. People are feeling uncomfortable in their seats. She's spoken. It's not just sexism, though sexism exists. And then a man who's going to naturally state things in the dominant sense repeats what she said. And we've studied this enough to, say, to be able to prove that it's not that he's a man. It's that he puts his attention out on the whole room and informs the room that this is where we're going and then waits for the argument, right? But in the moment that he puts his attention on the whole room speaking to the collective, he's assuming the dominant position. And in that moment, everybody's body shifts into a receptive state of listening and receiving. Yeah. So even if they argue it, they receive it first and they know he had that idea. Whereas in the memory, she's saying at first starts to disappear very quickly because it sounded like she was talking to herself. So we started training women to be able to experiment with speaking to the body of the room and not lots of rules about, you don't need to say, I was thinking maybe just perhaps we could try. We don't even bother with that language because naturally when you're speaking out and looking at the group as they're the body collective that you're right now leading, even if you're just making a suggestion and saying, How about we take it this way? All of a sudden, poof, everyone hears and flags. That person gave that idea in that moment of leadership in a collective. So there was this tech job site. I don't know, you might've heard of this, but this website that was tech jobs posted for men and women alike. But when the founders of this site started noticing that women were asking for way less money than men. So they had this beautiful idea. We're going to solve the problem. Engineer brain solves the problem in an engineer way. We're going to start posting graphs of exactly who's asking for how much or what is the average salary. 
what happened was men started asking for even more and women started asking for even less. Of course. This is not a mind job. And it's not that women don't love themselves. It's the conditioning. So I want to get to the next part of the conditioning because freezing is just the thing that you can be aware of and speaking in a dominant way, having your attention out, watching the signals of the room, speaking into other people's bodies is something that you can use in those situations and circumstances. However, there's more to it. The independent woman is doing everything herself and not asking for support because she doesn't want to seem needy. She doesn't want to compromise her independence. Women struggle with asking because they fear being either bossy or needy. Where does bossy come from? As you look at bossy or needy, what you're actually talking about is a difficulty with fully occupying the dominant state. Because if you're occupying the dominant state and saying, this is what we're doing, guys, it doesn't sound bossy. It's just being boss. And if you occupy the submissive state, it's no longer needy. It's someone who's exposing the needs, dreams, desires they have with their attention totally on what it would get for them, how they would feel. You know what would make me feel so good right now is if you brought me a glass of wine, you brought me a glass of water, right? Like no bossy, no needy. It's this, uh, when we do the exercises in the school, when they first attempt dominant attention and they stand up and they're working with a male partner, the first thing they want to do is go down to eye level. I'm not bigger than you. I'm not in charge. <laughs> and when they get down on their knees to look up at them at the man, they could kill him with their eyes. I'm not lower than you. I'm not lower than you. And so this facility and comfort with being able to express from both sides ends up creating energetically seamless exchanges that are deeply connected and generative. What we bump up against is there's a, a prohibition against desire and asking for things. Back to good girl conditioning in woman land, in woman land of yesteryear, up until five minutes ago, a woman who had a lot of needs, a lot of desires. Even today, women are like, ah, no big deal. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't need it. I'm low maintenance. I'm really low maintenance. Exactly. I'm so, there's no human in the world, especially not a woman that's low maintenance. And being high maintenance, having higher visions, having needs. You know, the story I hear from people in the corporate world all the time is that a very successful woman will tend to not ask for all the staff she needs, all the time she needs, all the resources. She will try to do more with less. Whereas a man will tend to... Totally. He knows that his job is to do... Over-ask. They will over-ask. I ran businesses for years. The men will over-ask. They'll build hierarchies. They'll build empires. And the women will just say, no, no, I can handle this. If I can handle three kids and their father and do 16 things at the same time, I can surely do that too. And what happens is over the years, the resentment starts to grow and the yeah. between men and women, the people who we love and work with grows and the unspoken grows. It, there's so much unspoken that it starts to choke us alive. So Kasha, give me practical advice. Give me as a man practical advice of how can I empower a woman to actually play that role? You're absolutely right. After I learned from you, watching all of your work and listening to you now, I realize I'm actually typically dominant. I'm typically talking about what needs to be done. I don't even question in my mind when I told my teams we're going left. It sounded like we are going left. This is not an argument. I, I typically am. And probably in my relationships with a woman, I would probably be doing the same. It's like, you know, I'm in charge here. I'm going to do things. So how do I enable a woman to actually play the other role? That's question number one. Question number two is, you're absolutely right. Women, they freeze, they don't ask, they don't. What do we tell them? What should they do other than 
if you're asked a question, answer with a question or convert the attention outwards. What can a woman do? So give us two practical tips here. All of a sudden, 15 different exercises are flooding into my brain. <laughs> we have time. I have all the time in the world, honestly. But let's give people something that they can do today. The advice for men would be to, especially professionally, but personally too, ask a woman if she has everything she needs in order to do what it is that she's doing. Mm. Then stop her from answering and tell her to think about it and return. And then when she returns, ask her if that's really all that she needs. Like really be consciously aware that she will try to do more with less, which can be great. It can be efficient. It can be effective. And the corresponding thing for women is I would recommend that all women do one day invisible labor log, meaning just devote one day. Oh, I love that. With really precise attention, how I spent this hour, how I spent this hour, how I spent this hour, but logging thoughts on behalf of others, like solving others' problems, figuring things out, making things work for others in a way they never see, in a way they never reciprocate, in a way they can't even say thank you for because they just assume that's part of the air or part of your being. All the feelings that you work out, the emotional problems, how you work around other people's temperaments, and all of the actual things you do that's not directly the things that you're paid for that are the things that these things are really really beautiful the acts of service the thing is if they're unconscious you can't pour your heart into it and if you can pour your heart into it you don't need the reward of another person giving you applause but if you feel any edge of i bet they would do this for me if i needed it if there's any edge of why am i always the one bringing the coffee because once they log it, they, some women find that they spend 70% of their day living for other people. Totally. And that can be beautiful, but where there is no awareness, there is no choice. Where there is no awareness, there is no choice. So if they're enslaved to good girl conditioning and doing these things, when they see what they're doing, they may choose to continue. They may choose to stop. They may choose to be financially compensated or acknowledged in any way that they want. But seeing it comes first. The next thing they can do is make a list and be like, these are the things I no longer want to do. Then they can decide, do I want to inform people that I'm no longer doing this? Or do I want to stop doing the dishes and see? Wow. Do I want to ask someone, right? And then we have like a whole curriculum for how to make an irresistible, compelling ask that no one can say no to. <laughs> do I want to ask someone to take this on? Do I want to continue doing this, but get acknowledged for it? Is this something that I need to have seen? Because sometimes invisible labor can stay invisible so long as it's not invisible to us. And other times, it's absolutely appropriate to be paid for it. Mm -hmm. So then we're talking about two things that are difficult for women, asking and talking about money. Oh, yeah. We have curriculum for it, right? The day-to-day -day simple thing to do is to start noticing when a woman goes inward to self-attack or blame. In that moment, turn your attention out to the person that you're having a conversation with and ask a question just to flip the attention so that there's that back and forth. Here's another one. One really fun thing we do at the academy is we train women to be absolutely in love with hearing the word no. What happens for women is because our state of attention so quickly goes inward, if we are asking for something important or mean something to us and we get resistance on the other side, we get a no, we make it mean that we just got told no. The energy goes directly to us. So we feel like 
not just no, you can't have a new desk, but no, you don't deserve to ask and no, you don't deserve to exist. Wow. You can even see it in the phrasing. Can I ask you a question? Is it okay if I ask you a question? It's a meta question, looking for permission to ask with the request itself. We play really fun games with having women hear no over and over and over again. And here's the thing about no. Here's the thing about resistance. When you make a request of someone, when you tell them that you want something or you command them to do something, resistance is precious because most people, most of the time, don't say no to be jerks. They say no because something came up that threatened something important to them. Gold. Gold. You're a mind reader, aren't you? <laughs> it's, it's like they just give me a clue and I now can control them forever. I can tell them exactly what to do. I know what matters to them. I know what's important to them. By the way, I'm so sorry to say I understand that as a businessman. That's exactly what I want. I want my customer to tell me no. Because when they say no, I know what matters. Yes, 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 yes. And it doesn't stop at business. It, it moves to love. Absolutely. So the moment somebody says no, here's the art. Get curious, right? Get curious. Oh, yeah. My students will often go, the first question out of their mouth is, why not? I was like, that's not curiosity. That's badgering. That's trying to break the resistance with a hammer of questions. No, get curious. Get around the resistance to find out what matters to them. Because if you're asking about something that matters to you, and there's something on the other side that matters to them, the no is most often an illusion of conflict. If I know what you care about right now, what's being threatened, yeah. and I know what I care about because I came to you with it, those two things, those two living impulses, when they meet in a conversation, when they truly meet in a conversation, that's when synergy is possible. That's when a new idea that's better than either of the two ideas starts to form. That is the magic of human connection. Something being greater than the sum of its parts. It's gotten to the point where my, when my students get a yes, they're a little bit disappointed. <laughs> it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and just a little dungeon metaphor. If I have a session where for 90 minutes, I say, Neil, man kneels. I say, stand up, stands up, go over to the window make a fool of yourself at the window. And he does everything perfectly. It's the most boring session on earth. I have to find, I have to find his resistance. You are a little bit slow there. Are you being slow in order to get my attention? Do you want to get punished? Or are you being slow because you enjoy taking your time? Is that the kind of pleasure you're here for? Because if that's the kind of pleasure you're here for, you can go over there and please yourself. And they don't blah, 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 blah. But the point is, the resistance is gold. So for any woman who wants to inoculate herself against no, I think actually on our website, we have tons of resources on our website where some of these exercises, you can run with a girlfriend, you can read about it, try it out yourself. I know. <laughs> I, loved, I loved the legitimacy test. Let's not tell them about it. Everyone listening to this, go to the website, watch the legitimacy test. I think it will change your life. Keep going. So when a woman is inoculated against no and like wants to get no, so she learns more about the people in her life and starts creating synergy, the legitimacy of her desire starts to amplify. Because again, the good girl conditioning, don't want anything, don't need anything. Then you ask a woman, what do you want? Suddenly she feels all this hyper-masculine production-oriented pressure to identify a measurable result, a goal that she can reach, that if she reaches, then she'll start feeling good instead of accessing the thing that takes a little more time, takes a little more space, 
accessing the voice and feeling inside of her that is the voice of her desire, that is the thing that is a seed that will grow and then have fruits and more seeds and reproduce itself. Like a, you cannot, if you set desire and goal in a race against each other, desire goes on for infinity. The results of following your desire go on for infinity. The goal is a premature ejaculation one-shot deal. I get there, I get to have this, and now what? It's not the best way of walking through the world, and it's part of the reason why we have a world with so much stuff, quantity, right? But so yeah. little quality. Totally. Right? So moving from the production to the creative has a lot to do with moving from what we call the masculine to the feminine, or moving from end result to the living voice of desire within us. So asking becomes a whole new thing when desire is accessed. Because if you feel in a full-bodied way, even if it's something like not wanting to pick up the kids from school anymore, or wanting a raise, wanting a better position, if that exists as a desire in a full-bodied way, what you're also present to is how getting this will light you up light up your life, light up the people around you, the impact it's going to have on everyone else, it becomes a vision. And when you're a visionary, even if you're just asking the kids to get picked up, the way that request is going to land in the body of the other person is not, oh God, this is such a burden, or oh, why is she asking me to do more? Or why is she asking for more? What it's going to occur as is an opportunity. Totally. And then when resistance comes up, we get curious about it and we connect with the other piece. The other piece is their living impulse. And it can be something dumb like vanity. It can be like, I'm worried that if I do this stuff, I won't look like a man or I, that I'm treating you, giving you a raise, treating you special. Okay, but you can speak to that. You can ask questions. What would it look like if everyone felt special? There's just a whole world of possibility there that wouldn't exist otherwise. And what we're really talking about is creating the kinds of communications where we can have conflict without violence. We can have creative, we really like look for the points where the friction is. Friction creates life, even in sex, right? And have peace among people, but without conformity. I love this image, this image of this woman. The first woman who came into her boss's office and said, you know what? I'm pregnant. And I want to keep my job. And I want you to pay me while I stay at home with the baby and while I give birth. And I want you to pay me while I spend the first year with my baby. And then when I'm ready, I want to come back to work and resume the job I had at the same pay. How's that sound? Well, when you say it like that, it sounds absolutely insane. <laughs> and this woman who was like, I have this desire, it's outrageous. I'm speaking it, and now we have maternity leave. The politicians run on those platforms. In some countries, we have paternity leave. And it turns out that this one woman's very, very outrageous desire, spoken, changed the course of humanity. We have children who are being better raised by their primary parents because they get some time off. Suddenly, it's a benefit to all society for this woman who might have thought of herself as greedy, as selfish, as one who wants too much. Make up your mind, woman. Are you a mother or are you a worker? Come on. Mm -hmm. And she paved the way for so many people. And I just, I love imagining how she must have been like, this is going to sound nuts. I'm probably going to get fired. This is crazy. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. You know, the thought experiment I always ran with my team was I was saying, okay, so why don't you get your husband to ask for that? And believe it or not, when they put themselves in that position, they'll go like, yeah, he will walk in and say, look, I deserve this, 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 and that. 
And right away, he will put himself in the dominant position. And I, I love this conversation because I also pay a lot of attention like you. I really, really dig deep into what people's signs and body language and reactions and so on. And the most interesting side of this is when a man came into my office and asked for something outrageous, it didn't even cross his mind that it was outrageous. To him, it was like, yeah, of course, I, I want a million dollars. As a matter of fact, I ran a startup at one time. And, uh, you know, we went through a bit of a difficult time. And so we asked people, how do we compensate you for this? And women were saying, oh, thank you so much for asking. Men were saying, I think you should double the shares you gave us at the beginning. And it is that extreme. And when you talk about it, I have to ask you a very, very important question, actually, on the topic of desire. There is so much conditioning to a woman that being a good girl is about suppressing your desires. There is so much, especially in the Middle East where I come from, where sexuality is totally taboo, right? So the culture, the religion, and so on and so forth would basically say, you're never going to touch a man until you're married. And so what parents do is they say, by the way, sex is bad. And the reversal of that to tell a woman, hey, by the way, it's your desire. It's what you feel. It's how you are made biologically. And it's absolutely okay to open up to this. By the way, this is not just in the Middle East. As a matter of fact, around the world, you meet so many women that are not in touch because they think there is something wrong there. How do we tell a woman that what you desire is you? It's basically listen to it. It's your either body or your emotions or your... Something is telling you, I want this. It's like I want coffee in the morning. I wake up and my body is telling me I want coffee in the morning. How do we change that mindset? The simplest thing I can say to that is what I say to my students. The beginning of the journey starts with a simple sentence. And this goes for erotic desire. This goes for creative desire. Even things that could be goals like professionals. We use the language of desire around them to bring these things closer to the body. Because addressing sexuality is so important because it ends up spilling over into things that we never think are sexual. So this is the sentence that begins a woman's journey of reclamation in regard to desire. You have no say in what you want. You have no say in what you want. You don't make it. You don't sit there and go, I want to desire X, Y, and Z. You have no say in what you want. You didn't make it. It comes through you. It doesn't even come from you. It comes through you. And imagine that for a moment, thought experiment, that women, just women for now, as creatrixes of life biologically, imagine for a second that the desires coming through have a universal intelligence. A woman wants pickles and ice cream when she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. This ability to be able to tap your inner barometer and lead from there yeah. has a beautiful way of being connected to all of life and all of nature. When we are allowing the deepest, most embodied parts of ourselves to be the signals we read, we are in touch with the whole universe. Now, you have no say in what you want. You do have a say in whether you acknowledge that that signal came up for you, because in some cultures, it can be extremely problematic. In some situations, it can be extremely, desire can be a big it can drag you out of marriages. It can make your life very inconvenient, make you quit a job to be a watercolor painter on a sidewalk. You have no say in what you want. You do have a say in whether you allow yourself to see it or not. 
And then you get to choose how to play with it. Then you get to choose. Then you get to choose. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I have this desire and currently no way. But I'm not going to act on it. Yeah, I'm not going to act on it, right? There's, this also gives time because a lot of times desire will have a lot of unalchemized energy attached to it. So like anger will come up. Anger is very useful, but not in its first or second stage. First stage is sleepy anger, resignation, tiredness. Second is reckless chaos, destruction. Third is passion and clarity. We very rarely get to the third stage. So we take the time to notice what the desire is. And oftentimes it's much bigger than we think it is. Much, much bigger. And it connects to much bigger things. I had an incredible, incredible situation with a woman who couldn't stop talking about how frustrated she was that her husband wouldn't pick up the socks. When we went deep into what the desire was, oh, this is the other fun thing. If you ever hear someone complain, desire always hides a complaint. I mean, complaint always complaint hides a desire. Hides a desire. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if you're complaining, ask yourself, what's the desire? If someone else is complaining, ask themselves, what are they actually asking for? Anyway, socks. Turns out that in unpacking that conversation about socks, she went to want better communication. Okay, but what does that mean? The more we went into it, the more she realized she wants both of them to quit their jobs and be teachers on the road. Wow. Yeah, and I was just like, it started with socks. It started with that complaint. And what came out was this desire to be a duo in the public eye, in an activist space, speaking for and leading as a married couple, as a married couple. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Right? And so good we didn't leave it about the socks. I don't know what to say. You are freaking awesome. <laughs> like, I totally am mind blown. This is a wonderful conversation. I want to talk about Unbound because every single one of you listening, you heard Kasha speak. You can imagine what her class is like. I actually visited her website. Why don't you allow men to attend? I want to attend. I mean, it's Zoom and everything. I can attend. What's wrong with that? We are actually currently working on designing our male alliance, allyship. So we are now sorting out how to have men in these classes in a space with their right. This is absolute brilliance, Kasha, because I will tell you this. In my career at Google, there was that group that was called Women at Google. I'm very, very passionate about the topic. I do not exaggerate when I tell you what will save our planet is the feminine. I always say the feminine. The feminine takes a lead because we're screwing the planet because we're hyper-masculine. Now, so I asked and I said, can I attend? Because it's called women at Google. And we were in, in that session. And I have to say, I'm, I'm not shy. I speak, right? I sat in that session and I sat in, you know, three rows from the back, not in the front row. I was a very senior VP at the time. And I just sat quiet. And there was one other gentleman, a developer uh, of African-American origin, so a software developer. And he was sitting there and I was sitting there and we were totally on mute, not opening our mouths. Until one of my team, a fabulous woman called Emily Ma, Emily basically said in the middle of the meeting, she said, we have two gentlemen in the back. Maybe we should ask their opinion on this. So I first said, well, I have to say, you're losing a lot of firepower because there are so many of us men that are very passionate about this, but you're sort of pushing us back by saying it's women only. And the African-American gentleman said, and yeah, by the way, I understand what it's like not to get my fair equal rights. And so if we can actually be allowed into this, and in a way, I'm, what I'm trying to say is 
Everything you said today, believe it or not, as I listened attentively, applies to men exactly as it applies to women. The idea of attention out and attention in and, you know, the whole idea of playing the roles and so on. But I also think there is a lot of couples work. It's like someone and her boss and someone and her partner, right? There is a lot that needs to be taught to the men to understand that it's good for all of us to allow this to happen. And, you know, in a way, anyway, when you're ready, I'm attending. I'm sitting in the first row, okay? The school is founded by me and my business partner, Ruben Flores, who is a man. And it started because I started sharing with him what I understood about power dynamics by being in dungeons and in spiritual. Mm -hmm. He worked for 10 years for Doctors Without Borders in war zones, where he had to negotiate borders without being able to speak a common language. And the fact that the academy started with a man and a woman was really, really, really potent and helpful. We, in our live classes, always had live, uh, had male volunteers. Now, we are in the switching from live classes to Zoom. Like, we've always, always, always had not just men, but the right place at the right time so that there could be a woman-only session where women feel really safe to talk about how mm, they work. I understand that. I totally understand that. Yeah. And then bring men in at the right time for the right role. We're just now figuring out how to do it on Zoom, which is why we're developing this male allies program. I'm on the front row. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, but the one thing we do have that's already cooking and ready to go is we have a month-long intensive coming up on November 23rd. This is a normally a $750 class. It's called Good Girl Reform School. And we are offering a seat in the class for anyone who buys a book. Yes. Did you hear that, guys? So 80% of my uh, listeners, or 70 to 80%, are women. So everyone, like seriously, what are you waiting for? Pre-order the book. Where should they pre-order it? Well, some people have things against Amazon. <laughs> so so uh, in order it at any bookseller, it's available for pre-order now, even though it doesn't come out until next year. It's called Unbound, A Woman's Guide to Power. And uh, we'll be referencing that book in Good Girl Reform School. Everything I mentioned on this podcast is in the book. But in Good Girl Reform School, we, for a month, intensively, will be going through this process of breaking good girl conditioning and jailbreaking other women as much as possible in the time that we have. And I feel very, very, very strongly that right now is the time to give away as much as possible. You're absolutely spot on. Like there's so much pain in the world. There's so much confusion. And one of the skills that gets learned in during the process of a good girl jailbreak has everything to do with power, influence, and being able to move another person, not just to change their minds, but to change their minds along with their hearts and the actions of their body. To really, really be such a bright light and my favorite thing is the way that we see when a woman's mastered the material and is, and is powerful in her own life is that she can afford to be playful. So our, our most advanced mm -hmm. students are insatiably playful. And I want that for women to be powerful and playful and have fun, be able to introduce levity in the most dark, difficult situations. Oh, it's the bomb we all need. Totally. You are absolutely freaking awesome. I have rarely ever enjoyed a conversation as much. I have to say, so eye-opening, so balanced, so grounded, and so important. I am so grateful that you came.
Thank you so, so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. That was a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I learned so much. I was blown away by many of those thoughts that appear to be simple but are quite profound. And I surely intend to be friends with Kasha, if she lets me, for quite a long time to come. To get to attend Kasha's training on November 24th for free and save yourself $750, order Kasha's upcoming book, Unbound. To find more details, just go to kashaurbaniak.com slash good-girl-reform-school or just go to kashaurbaniak.com and scroll down until the bottom of the page and you'll find it over there. Find me on social media and let me know what you think about the conversations that we're hosting here. I am Moog underscore Gaudet on Instagram, MoGaudet on LinkedIn, MGaudet on Twitter, and Mo.Gaudet.Official on Facebook. Please help me out and rate this podcast five stars if you're using Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about it, spread the message, and make everyone benefit from this new initiative that I believe has been reaching thousands and thousands and thousands with the inspiring messages that have the power to change life from some of my wisest friends. I know you have a million and a half things to do in your daily life, but remember, there's always a little bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening, and I'll see you next time.